We must begin with a renewal of our churches before we have anything to offer the culture outside the church. As patient, careful stewards, we as pastors and leaders can nourish the soil of our culture by the way we love artists intentionally, loving not only their artwork, but who they are as persons in the process. Joshua Banner. This is the Redeemed Imagination Podcast, a podcast of the Anselm Society on reenchanting the church. Welcome back to the Redeemed Imagination Podcast. This is your host, Brian Brown. I'm joined by Father Matt Burnett, Heidi White, and Joel Clarkson. And today we're going to be talking about five ways that your church can start to be a more hospitable place for artists. If you're listening to this, you are either an artist that's hungry for this, a member of a church that's hungry for this, or possibly our core target audience for this particular episode, which is the pastor or church staffer that's really looking to think more deeply about this question. Maybe it's something that you're doing solidly and just always want to get better on. Maybe it's something that you're only just beginning to think about, but we want to be a resource for you. And we're hoping that our conversation about this can be a starting point for that. So we're going to talk about five things and I'll give you a quick summary of what they are, a little teaser, and then we'll dive in. So the five things are one, love the artist as a person. Two, love the artist as an artist. Three, tip your hand. Four, show that you think their vocation matters to the kingdom. And five, help them grow. All right, let's just jump right into the first one. Love the artist as a person. Yeah, I think it's kind of trying to start with the beginning. You know, start at the very beginning, as the song goes. And I think that... For us in this context, the beginning is the incarnation, it's Christ. And we have this sense of what is it, who, where is our identity? And this is actually a great entry point for all of us as Christians, because we know that our identity is in Christ. And that's sort of where we begin. That's where we find our worth, our dignity, our sense of value, and everything else that comes out in our life that we produce, anything that we do, the relationships we develop, the work that we do. All of that proceeds from this point of being known and loved by Christ. And and I think that's true, Joel. I'm just wondering if this is a point that needs to be stated. So I'm wondering if that's not something that the typical artist feels in walking through the doors of a church. Do artists feel embraced? Do they feel seen as human souls? Well, let's back up a little bit. I mean, what's on some level, love the artist as a person, uh, the the appropriate response for any human being, let alone a good pastor, is, duh. Right. The reason that we're bringing this up is that um, a common experience that we encounter from artists is that, um, well, it's sort of analogous to the experience of the person who owns a truck. You own the truck and immediately all your friends value you because they Mm -hmm. want to borrow your truck. (laughs) I'm moving. I just bought a new fridge. And... You talk to truck owners, they're very hypersensitive about this a lot of the time because they have this experience a lot of the time, but people value me because I have a truck. And you can get to a point either because you don't quite know what to do with an artist as a person or simply because you really, really want to value art where you are essentially, and I don't want to overstate this, but using the artist for their gifts. And that's great. The painting ended up on the wall but mm. who's caring for the artist, who's having them over for dinner. There can be a disconnect where as soon as you find out someone's an artist, the sound guy in the sound booth, they become the sum of their skills. And that's the primary way that they get used to hearing from somebody from church. So what kind of questions, this is found out, what kind of questions would an artist like to hear from their pastor? Say they're, you're at coffee hour or you take, you're out for lunch or even just taking 30 seconds to know somebody a little better on the way out of the church, what kind of questions would an artist love to hear instead of, oh, you do sculptures. We've been thinking about a sculpture, a St. Francis thing out front or whatever, right? What would they love to hear? What would be, what would be a great thing for them to hear from their pastor by way of questions? Uh, 
from the perspective of an artist, uh, this is something I've experienced before, and it's always been a blessing to me, including, I think, uh, in conversations I've had with you, Father Matt, uh, along the way, which is just, you know, what are you up to nowadays? What's on your heart? What are projects that you're working on? I think that shows an interest in sort of their art beyond its utilitarian capacity. And also, I think, it, you know, and that might even be a little bit more aligned to what we'll, we'll eventually get to in our second question. Maybe the first question is just, how are you doing? You know, how's your world right now? How are you feeling about life? You know, what's going on in your world? Like those questions, they apply to everyone and they apply to artists too. They apply to the sound guy and they apply to the person doing the, you know, from the most sort of needed artistic things on a daily or a weekly basis for churches to the, you know, the really unusual, interesting, creative stuff that goes into building cathedrals and stuff. People are still people and they, and they'll, they'll just need that sort of human touch just somebody to ask them how they're doing. That's a great place to start, I think. Amen. Right. Well, this idea that artists with this capital A are some kind of different kind of mortal mm-hmm. that <laughs> that has to be treated in a different way than other humans. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. I mean, really kind of silly, honestly, that it has some historical roots, but it's frankly ridiculous. The thing that artists offer, whether they're creating sacred art or common art, is a kind of a a deep dive into human experience, right? They're looking at what it means to be human and creating something from that. So it seems to me, and I don't mean to be dismissive of this point, it seems to me those would be really interesting people to talk to. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Tell me about your life. And like, that just seems really clear. Yes, like really obvious to me. Just interesting people who are thoughtful and interested in lots of different things that I can learn from and grow well, from in a certain sense, and talk yeah, to you and at, share with. You're absolutely right, Heidi. Look at the artist as somebody who is like the other people in your church. Look at the artist as somebody who does this as, you know, whether they do it professionally, whether they do it um, semi-professionally or on a part-time basis, as this is, this is what they consider to be vocation. So if somebody in the church is an architect or somebody in the church is working in the medical field, this person considers that to be an equal kind of vocation. So maybe just starting a conversation and taking that art seriously as if it is their vocation and letting it sort of be in that context that it's not treated differently, but it's treated as something that has worth, that has value, uh, similar to the careers and vocations of others that aren't working in an artistic or creative environment. Yeah, I think you guys have framed it really, really well, much, much better than I did. There's this basic, the ways in which they're unlike and the ways in which they're like other people, you start with the ways that they're like. And I think part of part of the reason that this is that we're even having this conversation is because um, to some extent on the artists and historically, as you were alluding to, Heidi, there really since the 1920s or so, there's been a pressure to set themselves apart and emphasize so much the different ways in which they see the world that perhaps it's easy to miss how many non-artists in the church experience life very similar. Oh my gosh, we're the, we're the same, we're the same Enneagram personality type or, oh man, I'm not an artist. I'm an engineer, but I struggle with depression too. But there is also because if a church has not historically engaged artists well as artists getting to question two, it's easy for that to be the first place you start in an attempt to fix it. Hmm. So really, perhaps the easiest way to to frame number one is simply in your haste to fix what you perceive to be the problem. Don't forget the ways in which they are like first. Don't forget them as humans first. We keep flirting with two. I think we should jump into two because these, these feed into each other. So then you get up to, okay, love the artist as an artist, which is probably the challenge you're starting with if you're listening to this conversation. What does that look like as a congregation, as the leader of a congregation, or even just as a, an individual member of a congregation who has just uh, spoken to someone after the service and they say, I'm a painter? Mm-hmm. Um, to me, it, whether it's, again, we're at the generic level, but artist or, um, or engineering or whatever, just be willing to be ignorant, Right. I'm a sculptor. Mm, that's good. What does that mean? What's your favorite medium? Mm. Uh, is medium even the right word to ask you, right? I mean, just right. be willing to sort of ask questions that display your ignorance. I'm, mm. a, I'm a, a writer, and I am dive deep in literature, and I love classical education. So I ask Heidi, you know, I hear classical education all the time. I really have no idea what it means. What is classical, right? Just be willing to be ignorant. 
and ask questions that allow them then to educate you. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. As uh, listening, you know, this is so true in so many human relationships, but listening is so important and people you know, artists want to talk about what they're doing and they want to talk about their craft, uh, even if it's not to somebody who is similarly capable in their craft. They want to share. Artists are driven by that desire to communicate, that desire to look at something and then bring it into the presence of someone else. And that starts with that conversation about what they're doing and, and why they're doing it. You know, I think part and parcel with the artification is at the sense that it it is full of meaning. You know, it's something which they see uh, having resonance in the world. So they think very much about the choices they make and they want to be asked about those choices. Right. That's a great point, Joel, especially as a unique wrinkle for artists. So I asked my business owner who owns a, a surveying business. He's not necessarily interested in bringing surveying to the forefront of cultural experience. He likes <laughs> it. He's interested in it. He's good at it. But that's not necessarily a driver for him. He may right. want to share with me how his business is going. But he's yes. not necessarily interested in telling me about how great surveying is and how it could help change the world. Whereas an artist, right. like you said, does have sort of an impulse and impelling towards that. Yes. And that is kind of an interesting wrinkle to focus on. Thanks for that. Yeah, that potential disconnect where the artist instinctively feels, what I do ought to matter to you. Yeah. So to be able to approach that with some level of ignorance and, and essentially say, I know this ought to matter to me. Show me. And some of them are going to be able to articulate that better than others. I think virtually all of them are going to appreciate that you ask. Right, right. They'll like the question. I think maybe sometimes we psych ourselves out in the church in this regard. <laughs> but like, I think in a strange sense, and I say this studying theology and the arts, I think that pastors and artists have a lot in common. I think there's a lot right. of common common ground to cover there, more sometimes than they think they have, because they're both dealing with, in a certain sense, how to be human. and how to encounter God. And they're in partnership. If you look at the history of the church, they're in partnership so much of the time. And so I think thinking of cultivating uh, that sort of question-based conversation, that sort of interest-based conversation, isn't only a benefit for the artist. It's a benefit for the pastor. It's a benefit for the church. It's a benefit that opens up a special kind of relationship that's historically seen and can still be valuable today. This is the like versus unlike on steroids. I mean, we really need to do an entire episode on the ways in which pastors and artists are like. I, that would be I, really I, fun. I alluded to it in the, the panel discussion mm. with John Skillen mm. and Hans Bergman and Junius Johnson at the conference. And we've talked about it a couple of times offline. Um, there's that great Phil Riken article on how to drive artists out of your church that I mean, we were skimming through that and we were thinking, oh my gosh, so many of these things with a tweaked word would apply to a pastor too. Yeah. All right. We'll have to do an episode on, on, on that. <laughs> I love that those idea. Are, those are, those are, those are two groups idea. that are just so used to thinking of each other as other, especially on the artist end, but definitely not exclusively. Mm. Well, I think so much of this goes down to just one of the lost arts of society, which is asking questions, right? Like, get to the heart of loving the artist as a person and as an artist. Don't make the assumption that it's just a hobby, right? Ask what their goals are. What do you want to do? What drew you into art? What do you hope in the future to do with it? Tell me about what you're working on right now. Those kinds of things I mean, we're all gathered around this table because we do believe that artists have something to offer to the church. That's actually the entire point of what we're doing. So pastors who are listening in and wanting to cultivate that, so much of it comes down to the relationship that you build with the people within your congregation. And that just comes purely through asking questions. Mm -hmm. I don't know that there's really another way. So you just met an artist mm. after church and they tell you they're an artist. Let's say they say I'm a visual artist. That's all they give you in the first answer. Uh, what questions might you ask to make that conversation go beyond? Oh, that's nice. Right. Well, what does that mean? What is a visual artist? Tell me I'm woefully undereducated or ignorant about right. this. Please enlighten me. Tell me what you do. That's what I would ask. What What does that mean? What sort of visual art do you create? Mm -hmm. And then kind of go from there. Yeah, I think that's a great question, Heidi. Right. And then where did that come from and in your easy. life? Right? Like, tell me, how did you get to that place? That's then loving them as an artist and a person. That's two birds with one right. stone. Oh, yeah. So 
Yeah. What are you working on right now? You know, as people want to, they'd love to talk about what they're actually working on. I can say this as a, <laughs> as a working artist. And I think, um, I think another thing that I just thinking about this conversation between pastors and artists, especially is and this is so understandable. There's probably a fear for a lot of pastors and opening up that conversation with an artist over time, because for, I think for a lot of pastors, a lot of people working in a, in a clergy setting, there's that awareness that they may be limited on what they can make available in of themselves or even in the short term for an artist. And there's maybe a fear of that fear of disappointment and fear of, well, I, I don't know. And I think in one sense, my, I wonder, and I'd love to hear what you think about this, Father Matt, having, knowing the sort of the inner workings and having worked with a lot of artists and, and knowing the balance between sort of church administration and artistry. But I think my inclination is to say it's so valuable to just enter into that conversation. And if that topic comes up, just to be honest with the artist and say, you know, we're limited, but we care about artistry. I want you to know it's important to me. And I hope that as things go forward, we can have this conversation over time. That is such an encouragement to an artist, even if it's not a, mm. we can't, we, you know, we're going to give you an opportunity to create a piece of art for us. Even if it's just, we see you and we value this and we're thinking about it as a church. That's a great starting place. Right. Well, and not all artists, I don't want to, we don't want to also make the assumption that all artists are just like itching to make something for the church. A lot of them are, yeah. to your point, that I don't remember what you said earlier, what vocation you chose, something like a structural engineer or something. That's not always the first question we ask. Right. You know, my husband runs a defense contracting company. He's not like, how do I get defense contracting into the church? Like, like that's... <laughs> Could you so, point well, a satellite think, in Right. Us? Yeah. Yes. I think though, I would argue though that it's a little bit more of a... I think that many artists who are working in the church have that sense that as they're finding ways to serve the church, that's a natural way to give back to the church. You know, so I think True. it's a natural True. impulse that artists sure. do, do have that inclination, especially I think musicians, because it's the most sort of, it's such an obvious thing week to week. There's that natural, but all artists, I think in certain ways have that, that impulse of, you know, this is a gift I have. How do I use it to serve the church? Right. That's sure. And if you really want to open a can of worms, I mean, you can go straight to, as you learn about why are you here if you're a visitor? I mean, are you coming from another church? Are you coming from another city? As you start to get a feel for that, you could ask what kind, have you had good experiences in the church as an artist? Mm -hmm. If the answer is yes, you can follow up with, great, how can we build Tell me about that? it. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and that would be awesome. Or yes, we do that too, here so you can talk to. Uh, and if the answer is no, great, it's a Brian. great opportunity to be able to say, you're very That's welcome. That's so terrible. Yes. We're not like that. You're not right. going to repeat that experience. Oh, we here. prefer We're not to so do that. We're so glad you're here. We're so yeah. glad you're here. Please, you're very, very welcome. We need you. Yeah, yeah, I think that's great. Well, and even to normalize that there's a rich, here's the educator and me coming out, that there's a, a long and a rich tradition of art, mm. artistry and art and beauty in the church. Like, oh, you're a poet. So is King David. Like, there's a lot to affirm. This isn't that we're necessarily trying to create a space. There's already a space inhabited mm -hmm. by a rich, long tradition of art in the church. And we're trying to kind of create space for that again. Yeah. Well, and, and we're, mm -hmm. to push the conversation forward a bit, I mean, we're, so far, we're assuming that you have had enough of a face-to-face -face interaction with someone who wants to talk that you have the opportunity to ask them these questions. The reason that we put number three on our, our list, number three is tip your hand. There's no way to measure this, but just anecdotally, based on the conversations that I've had with artists, I'd be willing to bet 60 to 70% of those potential conversations uh, never even happen. Right. Because mm. the artist doesn't get the impression right out of the gate that this is a place where they would be welcome, or at least that their vocation would be is peculiarly appreciated. And there are a lot of ways, uh, and we've worked with some of our member churches on this, that you can make that really, really easy. Mm. Uh, one that, that we've um, started with a couple of our churches and probably want to make part a standard part of our member church program in the coming year is helping them develop just a couple of print resources and web pages so that somebody comes in, they're looking at your church's information kiosk or table or wherever you've got those stacks of paper that allow them to know more about your congregation, have one there that says, that articulates your theology of art. I mean, have your pastor or someone qualified mm. in the church write a little one or two pager mm. on, here's why we value art or here's why we value beauty. Put a little flyer mm. next to it with five ways that someone with artistic talents can plug in. 
And some of them could be actual ministries you're running. Some of them could be relevant Sunday school groups. Um, some of them could be general things like a small group that will allow them to get to know human beings. Others might just be a person to talk to. Mm -hmm. Oh, because that's probably, there, there's so many things to run as a pastor, so many things to keep track of. Even just having one person in your church that you can direct people to who mm -hmm. might already uh, not be ignorant about certain things and already have the lay of the land. And so that they, oh, man, if, if you have coffee with this person, uh, they'll know how to get you plugged in. They'll know how yeah. to help you find the people uh, who think the way you do or work in the same medium that you do. It can be as simple as a piece of paper that's prominently visible. So, Joel, as an artist sitting yeah. around right, this table, you are an artist. You're a musician, as you pointed out, which there is. That's probably the art form that is most traditionally still accepted and embraced mm. within yeah, the Western definitely. church. Would you agree with that? Is that true, do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think all artists have different sort of aspects that can be contributed to the church, but I do think you're right. Music is... Uh, for various reasons, but particularly because of its, its association with worship is definitely face forward. Right. So if you're walking into a new church, do you want to encounter that church's need for you as an artist right from the get go? Or do you want that to be something that organically develops over time? Do you want it to be like, hi, I'm the pastor. We need you. Or yeah, that's a is great it question. more of that's a down the road kind of question? Mm, that's a great question. That's a great question. I think um, a lot of it depends on what the philosophy of the church is. And that doesn't take a long time to figure out, you know, maybe a couple of weeks, you know, going on the website, looking at things like, you know, and, and, and getting, honestly, it's, if you have a chance the first Sunday to talk to the, to the pastor or priest and they, and they say, what do you do? And you say, well, I'm a composer, I do music. And that's an exciting thing to them. Then that's a definitely an interest. Um, the thing which I think maybe is something to watch out for is there's sometimes a thing that happens with, I think, artists of all sorts, which is if someone might hear music and they might immediately say, I have such and such and such music needs. Can you just fit those music needs rather than saying, hmm, mm. who are you as a person? What are your particular giftings? You know, for instance, I'm, I'm a pianist. I can do some piano. I'm a vocalist. Uh, composition is the thing which I love most of all. And I write choral music, you know. And so if someone takes the time to sort of get to know those parts of me and those strengths in me and then find a way to sort of hone that in, then that's really exciting to me because I, I love being able to serve in that way. But you also could be coming in with a, in a much different situation. You could be coming in just at a low point in your life or, uh, or a position, a situation yeah. where you just uh, left another church or, or just moved from another city where the church primarily valued you back to uh, yeah. item number mm, one right. for what you could do. And the last thing you want to hear is, oh, great, we can put you to work. Right. Uh, and, and, and there's, there's no yeah. way to know. There's no way to know instantly off the top of your head sure. which person you're talking to. Is it somebody who is just begging, dying for the church to say, we need you? Or is it someone who's heard that too many times in the wrong ways and is just dying for a church to say, we can feed you here? Right. Well, and there's the integration. I love what both of you are saying. That's the integration of those number one and number two, to love the artist as a person. I love mm -hmm. what Joel just said. Don't just treat me like a resource. Don't yeah. just treat me like a component for Sunday morning service get to know me and yeah. love me and so that these gifts and passions and desires that I have can be oriented towards the growth of the kingdom and that's yeah. true for every member of the church but I really like how you're taking that right. towards art the Anselm Society exists because Father Matt takes this approach. Right. The Anselm Society yeah. exists because Father Matt sat down. That may be a bit overstated, but you, thank you. You sat down with <laughs> me and you, and you, and you, I mean, I could almost quote you verbatim. You yeah. essentially said, let me tell you what's going on in the church. You tell me what's going on in your life and let's find a place where the needs of the church and what you feel equipped to give right now can meet. Yeah. It wasn't just, yeah. oh, we have this burning need. Can you squeeze yourself into this peg? <laughs> and another thing that, uh, uh, several of our member church pastors do that I love is I call it the, the secret handshake in the sermon. Um, there are certain people you can quote in a sermon to tip your hand, right. to communicate. I mean, if you, point. if you manage to squeeze C.S. Lewis and Dorothy Sayers into a sermon, if you manage to squeeze Dostoevsky into a sermon, if you make a, a literary reference with some regularity uh, to something that was not written within the last 20 years, uh, <laughs> there's a certain kind of person that's going to hear that and go, Ooh, yes, please. Right. I can stand yeah. more of this. These might be my These people. These might be my people. Yeah. yeah. 
to circle back around to the tip your hand question, well, not sure you, since you circle back around to it, right? And at the risk of being heavy handed, I can attest to the value of just being a church member promoting the Anselm Society, publicly promoting mm-hmm. its events, having the literature out. And again, I'll say, I don't mind saying it. If you're a church member out there, be a church member of the Anselm Society. Support it publicly and financially. Mm-hmm. A, mm-hmm. because it's worth it and it's an important work. But B, mm-hmm. that also tips your hand, frankly. We've had, I can't tell you how many people we've had make a connection between a decent vibe at Holy Trinity and a connection with Anselm. And instantly yeah. they go, oh, this might well mm-hmm. be my people. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's also low-hanging, high-quality fruit for them to just to know that we're associated with Anselm. And then they go to the fantastic website. And instantly, I mean, honestly, Holy Trinity gets cachet out of your great work, Brian, and because we're associated. And so that's low-hanging fruit is just to promote Anselm publicly and organically. And again, I don't mean to sound yeah. too heavy-handed, but it's just true. No, and we encourage member churches, uh, if they want to, to list Anselm Society as their arts, one of their arts ministries. Yeah. Or if they don't have any arts ministries, as their only arts ministry, to just list that on their site is almost as though they own it. We encourage that's that. Low hanging, high somebody quality can see that on the website and go, oh, really? Right. I really yeah. like that secret handshake thing a lot. I like that a lot. I've never heard you say that before. And I think it's important because what it communicates is that pastors are on the same journey mm. of integrating the tradition of art and beauty as artists are. Right. So pastors need to be reading good books, literature and poetry. They need to have a familiarity with painting and with music. Know the difference between someone who's composing sacred music and someone who's writing worship songs. Right. So that's the responsibility not only of the artists to carry that burden within the church, but of the church leadership to embrace that kind of way of living and being in the world. I think that's a perfect segue to item four on our list, which is show that you think their vocation matters to the kingdom. Mm. There are some easy ways to do this, but mostly this is probably the hardest of the five things we've got on our list. Because one of the things, if your church has has not done anything historically with the arts outside of, say, the praise band, and you're wondering where to start, you can do what we consider to be 1.0 things, like uh, we're going to start an artist small group and we're going to have an artist that we trust lead it, or we're going to have an art gallery or in some sort of arts weekend. These are all kind of low hanging fruit, great places to start in the long run though, with those things, there's still a risk that you communicate that art is this other, right. Art is this thing over here on the side and, Oh good. We've got the artist shunted off into their small group. Now I don't have to worry about them anymore. It doesn't have to feel that way, but there is that risk. And What we see when we see churches thriving is when they're able to either build upon that stage or bypass it entirely and integrate artists into the life of the church. And that's where it gets a lot trickier because you do start to run into uh, literacy issues, the challenge of, okay, at some point, if you've talked to your 12th artist and said, I don't know anything about oil paintings, Mm, get maybe a book you should on get a book painting. on oil painting. Yeah, right. go to an art gallery. Right. <laughs> and there's no way around the fact that this, this is usually going to involve just, some work and it's usually going to involve somebody going outside their comfort zone. Right. Mm. Well, as Joel pointed out, art really does have a different place in the life of the kingdom of God than a lot of other Industry, vocations. Yeah, absolutely. And it has that carryover between uh, professional life and the life of the church. And I think... Again, there's that sort of that fear of knowing how to do integration. But I, I also wonder if sort of valuing vocation, if, you know, whether it's looking at the vision statement that's on the website and putting in something about beauty and artistry and the importance of artists in mm. bringing mm. beauty to the church, or whether it's doing a sermon series on beauty and artistry as, you know, in the scripture or doing a study of Levites or doing a, a there's all sorts of different sorts of creative ways of building this into the regular aspects of church worship and teaching. And I think uh, we talked about Sunday school earlier. Sunday school is a great way to sort of, if that's the place where somebody's or where a church is sort of teaching of its theology comes into play, that's a great 
place to do some sort of series mm. on arts and on beauty and on the interrelationship between beauty and the arts and why artists are necessary in that sense. You know? And you can even do that a couple different ways. You can set out and say, we're going to teach you about art, either in that super explicit way or in sort of a sneak them in the back door sort of way by saying we're going to do a sermon series on Harry, or not sermon series, study school series on Harry Potter or something like that. Um, or another thing that we've seen done is not lead with the art at all. And we've had church retreats where we didn't say this is an art church retreat. We just said this is an all church retreat. And then they got there and oh, by the way, the concept <laughs> we were going over was taught largely through paintings and yeah. Renaissance paintings that articulated that concept well and that right. theology well. So we're not talking about adding a little bit of art and having a small group for the artists. You have a wonderful phrase here in your notes, Brian, that you that you gave us. Dumping off is not the same thing as delegation. Right? I think that that's great. We're talking about a mindset that understands that art is integral to the faith. Mm -hmm. And that is woven into the fabric of how the church functions in the world. That Graham Greene, who wrote novels, is has as much of a ministry as someone who writes, quote unquote, worship songs within the mm. church. It may be a different place, but the same kind of ministry of witnessing to the truth. Look for a whiskey priest sermon soon. Brilliant. <laughs> whiskey priest sermon. Amen. I'll be there. <laughs> uh, that's a great, great point, Heidi. I think it's an excellent point. And there's this kind of goes back to the first two questions. Love the artist as a person, love the artist as an artist. There's really nothing that can replace the, the church itself and especially the leadership of the church having their own theology of art and theology of beauty. Uh, at the, no amount of desiring to be kind to the artist can really work out well in the long run if there isn't something in place that begins with one's own self, one's own, the intention has to begin. Well, what do I think about the arts? What do I think about beauty? And what do I experience with it? What am I reading? Yeah. Right. That, and I said right. that before, what is the pastor reading that is artistic? That is beautiful. Yeah. What is the pastor mm -hmm. looking at? What hangs on the pastor's walls? What music are they listening to? Even if it's not, I've seen this with a number of churches, which wouldn't necessarily be considered traditional in their worship at all. They'd be considered very contemporary. But the pastors have really, really become very familiar with the aesthetic tradition of the church. And that has wonderful rewards for their communities, e even if it's not a direct, you know, even if it's not, you know, throwing out the guitar and putting in an organ or something. It's nothing extreme as that, but it's just these sort of, okay, well, what does, you know, what is the church saying about this over time? And that's something that when the pastor knows it, it does change the whole tenor of the church and the artist feels it. And if you can do this, I mean, if you can start at, and start small, you know, showing that your, their vocation matters to the kingdom, there are ways in which this is easy and there are ways in which this is hard. Right. The easy ways can be as things that are as simple as um, one of our friends who's pastoring a church plant in the South commissioned a series of paintings that went on the bulletin covers to go with mm -hmm. uh, the texts that they were covering. And he talks about paintings mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. Then there's a gallery at the end of the series. That's and brilliant. just, it was easy. It was, they did pay the artist for their work, but it wasn't expensive. The artist was excited to participate. And again, it was a tipping your hand thing of saying, this is actually, we're going to put this in the service. This matters so much to us. And that's mm -hmm. the service. And we've talked before about uh, different art forms and how not every type of art belongs in every particular place. But if you can do something like that, where something is visibly incorporated into the life of the church in some central way, it doesn't have to be Sunday morning worship. You are sending a mm -hmm. loud message. It does get a little tricky, and though. And people will notice. Yeah. They'll notice, mm -hmm. right? They'll pick up on the bulletin covers. They'll pick up on the small displays in Fellowship Hall. They'll, I was just, while you're finding... The Arts Theology Journal that you want to subscribe to, or Alan Plantinga, by the way, has a fantastic book on Pastor Gene, uh, just to plug there. But while you're doing that, just do stuff, right? I mean, hmm. most churches, unless they're humongous, but most churches are enough of a community and family that they'll appreciate if you just do stuff. And you'll get better over time, right? You'll get better over time. You'll recognize, well, that piece maybe should have been there this time, and or vice versa, or that piece should have been there. Or if you're a pastor, just do stuff. I find that... Your people will love 
that you're thinking about them and you just do stuff. Mm-hmm. And it'll get better over time. Mm-hmm. And if you need advice, call the Anselm Society. <laughs> no kidding. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding the least. We're here. Right. Um, but just just do stuff for your artists. There's one more thing I think we should cover on this topic, and that is because it's an area where it is easy to go wrong on two different sides of the fence or horse or whatever proverbial <laughs> initiative. Wherever we're playing on the side of. <laughs> Showing that you think an artist's vocation matters to the kingdom means, first and foremost, valuing excellence in that vocation. Mm -hmm. Amen. And that gets tricky because, on the one hand, you can create a dynamic where you don't get to count as an artist in the church until you're a master, or that's how an artist feels. Mm -hmm. But you can also create a dynamic where any finger painting is seen as is treated as good as the master's work because it's done for Jesus. And the artist knows that's not the case. And and that's the thing. This is about authenticity. This is about honesty. I mean, if artists think that you treat all art the same as long as it's done for Jesus, they'll know that you don't really see value in what they do in a way that's central to the life of the church. You might... You might see it as valuable as, oh, that's so sweet, but that's not what we're talking about. Well, it's like Langell said, we quote this all the time, right? Bad art is bad religion, no matter how pious it is. And so this this is one of the trickier things. You can say out loud, you can say more or less what we just said, but navigating it in practice is trickier because you have to create a dynamic Mm -hmm. where on the one hand, the best art is (laughs) elevated in some way. Right. But on the other hand, Someone who's just starting out is encouraged profoundly in the place where they currently are. Right. And they need to be able to see both. Right. Well, and that's point number five on your list, right? To help them grow. Let's do it. Let's talk about that. Because art is so powerful. It is the power to move the human spirit. That's why Jesus told stories. That's why the Bible is the greatest literary masterpiece in the history of the world. The liturgy of the church is, let's say you like grammar. I like grammar, right? So if you read, say, a a collect that's read in an Anglican church on a Sunday morning, the grammatical construction of those sentences is so beautiful. The craftsmanship of the language of the church, the way that art has been used in cathedrals over and monasteries over the centuries is so profound and so powerful that we have to be very careful with that. So how do we do that as the church? Your point is really valid. So Joel, how have you been nurtured as an artist to get better in art uh, without becoming discouraged? Do you know, I'll actually say it's been great for me as, especially as a musician to just become part of the tradition of the church that I'm already in. I'll give the example of the church that I'm attending at the moment here in Scotland. I've had the privilege to be part of the choir and we've done some really wonderful choral music. And honestly, when I started uh, almost two years ago in the choir, I was not as good of a sight reader as I am now. And over time, that part of which seems like a very minuscule part of the skill, but it's so central to sort of the presentation mm. of these 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 works that have been part of the church for so long, even just singing hymns, it's become, it's made me feel empowered because it means that I have a better understanding of, of how the music works. And I have an understanding of how certain things have been used in the past and will likely be used in other pieces as well. So um, even as a composer who works with notes all the time, just being part of the, the regular worship of the church has opened me up to a, a lot of growth and it's made my composition better. Nice. Well, and you're oriented towards growth. And so I think in some ways, some of this rests upon the artists themselves. We've been talking a lot about what pastors can do. And I think in this case, artists, we have to be oriented towards getting better at our craft, not just expressing what we're feeling at the time and what we're we're thinking about. And I want everyone to know me. Right. Yeah. Especially within the church, it needs to be oriented. The power of art needs to be oriented towards the glory of God and the building of his kingdom. And so I love what you're saying, Joel, because what you're saying is I want to get better. And yeah. the church is helping me grow. So I think artists have to be oriented towards that. Not just how can I get my painting up on the wall, but how can my painting serve the kingdom? Which means I need to get better and better and better and keep growing in my craft. 
and you see this a lot in the in the early church. Uh, you know, Athanasius does this. He approaches the way the church addresses a human being, mm-hmm. the soul, the human soul, and the way that a human being approaches music in much the same way. We're going to mm-hmm. meet you where you are. We are not going to say you are too flawed for Jesus. Right. That's right. We're not going to say you're too sinful for Jesus. We're not going to say you're too young of an artist for Jesus. Mm -hmm. But neither are we going to say you're perfect. You don't need grace. You don't need to grow. You don't need sanctification. Mm. You don't need to improve in your craft. This is on the most basic level, the the mission of the church to be Mm. able to meet someone where they are and take them somewhere else. Yeah. And part of the gravitas that the church can cultivate on behalf of the artist to help them move along in that way is to know the way that the church has dealt with visual art in the past, to know the way that the church has dealt with music in the past. Mm. And if the Mm. church becomes aware of that, they'll have more to give to the artist and more to help them with, because we don't learn Mm. in a vacuum. We learn out of a knowledge base that comes before us. And it's so much better to feel as an artist in the church that you're not just swimming in a kiddie pool, but you've been actually thrown into a river and you're getting pushed along by the current that came before you and is moving you forward to something else. Like that's such a better way to grow as an artist in the church. And again, great analogy for (laughs) theology and the life of the church in general. I mean, I'll, I'll draw a line in the sand a little bit and go so far as to say, if you are in a church context where the church both artistically and theologically is not interested in approaching the faith in this way, mm. run. Right. This is not to say there's only one tradition that does this. This is not to say there's only way one way to do this. But if you're in a place where the leadership wants to play with art and is not willing to look at how it's been done before mm. and wants to shape souls but has no interest in what the saints of the past have done, that's not a healthy way to approach church or art. Right. It's a gift. I mean, it's, I think rather than seeing it as sometimes we're afraid, I think of, of these words that represent these notions, tradition and ancient church, and this sort of thing. But I think the fact of the matter is that it's not a threat to us to know the past. It's a gift because it doesn't deny where we are right now or what we, the current situation or, or challenges or opportunities we have as the church in this moment. But it does say that we're more able to respond to those and understand how people in the past have responded to them and say, okay, with that knowledge and with the knowledge that may, of what may be new about my situation, how am I best able to answer this? And so I think it's a gift. It's not a threat. You know, knowing, knowing the history of the church, no matter how exactly we work that out, all these things are messy, but it's better to get the dirt under our fingernails of tradition and of the church and of the, of the history of the church and sort of feel more equipped. It's, it's a matter of having resources rather than having to start it all on our own. Which I think circles us back beautifully to the primary reason we're having this conversation, which is how a pastor, how church leadership, how a, a church congregation can be a more hospitable place for artists Possibly the single most common experience we see with our member artists is at least one church they've been in in the past where they felt like, I have tough questions and everyone's afraid of them. Mm. (laughs) And one of the easiest things that you can do if you are in a a church context that's healthy enough that it has answers to the tough questions, (laughs) give the answers to the tough questions and show that you're not afraid of them. Right. Right. Well, and hang some art on the wall if you're a pastor and, you know, take a risk even if it's a rotating thing, say six right. months or three months, uh, even if you don't understand it, again, you'll be educating yourselves along the way. So hang mm. it up, hang up the art and give people a platform appropriately within the liturgy of your church to for art to have that power. And I really like what you mm. said about you'll make mistakes along the way, Father Matt, and that's okay. That's not a big deal. And you, we're all growing. So how have you created that space for artists at Holy Trinity? Yeah, good question. I'm not sure. Um, I have some definite stuff. Just at the very ground level things, take highlights of the church year, Advent, Christmas, and Lent, Easter, and begin to highlight works of art that, whether musical, special music, I think it's just one piece. The choir that's developed at Holy Trinity, I think, highlights this. 
we, again, in the preaching, if you work in literary pieces, if you, again, which goes to being read in that area. But again, I just want to say to other pastors that are out there, don't wait. And if it's a contemporary uh, reference, use it. I find a lot of pastors are attuned to the fact that Vampire Weekend just did a killer new project, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then go ahead and tie that, though, into find ways then to look back and tie that into Augustine's preaching because it works, actually. But if Vampire Weekend is where you're at today, man, reference <laughs> Vampire Weekend and then go ask yourself what else has been going on in the church by way of music and contemporary music. Uh, because every church, whether it's Chrysostom, uh, Cranmer, Luther, everybody engaged popular music and church culture. Mm. Everybody. Absolutely. Everybody. Yeah. So if you're a young hipster who's digging Vampire Weekend, then go read Luther. Because you will find overlap. So just that. Yeah. And hanging pieces, I think, is important. Like you just said, Heidi, having pieces and then letting people know what it is, where it came from, that we like it, that we value it, keeping it prominent. I think that as you just try stuff, um, quality art. Uh, Martin Mind, when he was with, with us at the Your Imagination Redeemed conference a few years ago, he said that they try to give every piece exposure, but not every piece gets the same exposure. Mm -hmm. And I really like that. Right. I find find yeah. a way for everybody's stuff to get some kind of exposure, but that doesn't mean that everybody's stuff is at the doorway to the sanctuary as you walk in for worship, right? Right. Or is up front or is sponsored on the front mm -hmm. page of the website or, the, or your social media. But do give everybody a viewing at some level. I think that's important myself. Mm -hmm. Frankly, even the clumsiest stuff. Honestly, mm. I try and give a viewing to somewhere. Um, and so, but it doesn't need the same view that everybody gets. And what that's done, I mean, I've watched that happen. What's that, what that's done is it's taken the fear out of the equation. That's right. Mm. Somebody who's afraid they're not good enough, that fear starts to dissipate because they see something that someone's eight-year-old did who wants to be an artist someday. And they go, okay, well, I'm not eight. I can do a little better than that. And I'm going to contribute next time. But at the same time, someone who is coming from a more artistic background is, and is asking, is this church just patronizing the artists or do they really think it's important, can see the best stuff in the best places and be illuminated by it? I think that I hope that suggests that we kind of get it, right? And I think the, I'll take myself, whatever, the, the substandard writer actually doesn't want his stuff front and center. That's right. <laughs> right? right. I mean, really, compared to the very good writer. Because right. I know that it's not front and center stuff. I'm glad it's somewhere. But actually, I feel odd if you think my substandard stuff belongs front and center. Mm -hmm. right. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think most to honesty do. and authenticity. Yeah. As far as growth goes, it's a really interesting, too. Growth in craft, but also spiritual growth. Yes. Because the artist is... And it's a funny dynamic for a pastor. I'll just talk for just a second to try to on this. Every member of the body, irrespective of gifts and level of quality, it's incumbent on them to offer who they are to the body. Okay? So mm -hmm. if all I can do is shovel the rock for the landscaping, that's great. And, but if um, Heidi White can present a fantastic piece on history of literature, then it's incumbent on both of us to bring our best work to the body, just because we're a member of the body. That's how the works. That's how, that's how, why we love Jesus and he's bound us to one another. Mm. On the other hand, there is the piece, though, that excellence demands, particular excellence does, well, not demand, that's the wrong word, uh, deserves some sort of particular compensation, right? So they're both and, to my mind. And that goes to spiritual growth. That's why I'm on the growth topic. Both the church and the artist sort of need to, understand that within the body of Christ, both these things are true. Right. And so the pastor who resents paying the artist, for example, is sort of, they need to check their heart. The artist, though, who thinks that in some way they're a consultant to the body instead of being a member of the body, mm. they mm. need to check their heart as well. That's great. St. Benedict said they should be stripped of their ability to create for the church and made to work in the kitchen. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, well, yeah, he did, actually, yeah. Well, and there is a difference between so. sacred art and common art. Not all art that we create, even when it's very good, belongs in the sacred space of the sanctuary of the church. Right. If we write like a therapy poem, we don't have to mm. read that from the pulpit, right. but it's worth writing, but that doesn't yeah. mean it has to occupy mm. a place that edifies the body because it really might not. Right. And I may well, or I may well shoot it off to three life group leaders yes. who I know are drilling down on this. Yep. Yes. I may very well do right. that. 
even if I don't read it yes, from the front of Sunday. At, it creates also access yeah. to the heart of the artist, which that is the role of the pastor is to counsel and shape and comfort the body. And so you can send your therapy poem to your priest or your pastor to read and to pray with you right. and to pour into your spiritual growth. But that doesn't mean that it might not be appropriate in the general body of the church. Or the front page of the website. Right? And this, yeah. Yeah, and this leads up to, I'll make uh, one more observation and then we'll and we'll wind down this episode. That leads us to a great thing that we emphasize with our member churches when they're first joining. And that is that there should be a person in the church, ideally, and we really push this hard, on the church staff. So uh-huh. somebody who really is in the thick of things mm-hmm. in terms of the life of the body and has the ear of the senior pastor, but who is not the senior pastor, who can occupy this role of okay. essentially the the liaison between the artists, the work they create, and the church body. Because there has to be somebody in that position. Uh, and in some cases, it can be the senior pastor, but it's great if it can be somebody who kind of eats, sleeps, and breathes this, who knows what the artists are creating. Who knows what the needs are in the body and can and connect them with each other. If I, as an artist, can create something confident that if it is of value to anyone in the body, it will get there. That's a very, very valuable thing. And that's something that we, right. we work with our, our member churches on. It's not, it's not an overnight thing, but it's a beautiful dynamic if you can create it. Right. Well, it's the difference between Joel doing a composition for the sacred life of the church and Joel writing a sad song about a breakup with his girlfriend, right? They're both worth <laughs> writing. They're both yeah. wonderful yeah. music, right. but they well, occupy he, different places in the life of the body of the yeah, kingdom. That's right. Oh, that's really true. Go ahead, Joel. Uh, I think that an artist who is not able to have their work featured at a prominent level in liturgy or in the church, they'll receive it differently if on the one hand, it's there's the sense that art serves the liturgy of the church and it's not about the particular artist per se as much as it's about the community as a whole and, and the fact that this is part of our worship to God versus, oh, well, we favor people who can be popular from the front and who look good and who mm-hmm. sort of do this thing. There's a little bit of a cultural aspect to this as well that's cultivated in in and through the leadership. And um, that's just a thing to keep in mind. There are obviously always those moments where an artist's work just isn't isn't there. It's not quite, and it's just, in, it's in process, you know. But a part of helping them is helping to sort of move away from that sense that art is only valuable if it makes the person popular and makes them cool or makes them sort of turns them into a prominent figure as it were. Because that can be, we all desire, even I, even I as an artist, I admit it, I want to think that I, I'm pure of intention, but you know, even I have my moments of thinking, oh, it'd be so cool if, you know, uh, I were able to do such and such. And certainly not every artist has that intention, but I think every church can practice uh, building this sense of the centricity of worship, of the liturgy, not being around the person, but being around Christ and that the worship and the artistry that goes into that serves that purpose and not people that are creating it. Yep, exactly right. Well, it's just the beginning of a conversation. We love having this conversation. We love working with churches to continue to grow in these areas, and we're still learning. So if you want to talk to us about becoming a member church, or if you've got a great story uh, of something that your church has done that you think other churches would benefit from, uh, email it to us at anselmsociety at gmail.com. We'll look forward to continuing the conversation with you and join us next time. Thanks, everybody.